0: It's hard to believe that it's 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 actually summer, isn't it? School's out, Vacation Bible School is getting ready to start. Uh, it's just it's hard to believe it's already here. You know, uh, I have many memories of summer as a kid growing up. You always looked forward to the last day of school and, and you launched into your activities. As I got older, it meant I worked on the farm. And usually in the summer we would break and train horses and play baseball, take swimming lessons, just kind of crank, make homemade ice cream and things like that. But one of the, the biggest memories for me is, is that of family vacations, of summer vacations. Maybe it is for you, too. Uh, even though uh, Dad ran a farm, Mom and Dad always made a point, even though it was a very busy time, they always made a point to make sure that we got away for a week, a week and a half, two, or something like that. Typically, we would head to Colorado. That's where Mom grew up. And so we had relatives out there, and it was nice and cool out there. It was kind of a change of pace from July or August in Kansas. So we'd go out there, and we'd, we'd camp and hike and fish and visit family, and then head back home. Uh, once in a while, though, Mom and Dad would kind of change things up. One year, we went to the Ozarks, which was great, but a little less comfortable camping. Um, we uh, went to Idaho one time to visit an uncle, uh, one of my earliest memories, um, we went to Illinois one time to visit my uncle, who was a professor at a Christian college and of biology. And one little thing that stuck in my mind was he was always one of those uncles that had all sorts of stuffed birds and pelts. And In his lab, he had a rattlesnake. And I got to watch him feed the white mouse to the rattlesnake. That was really cool. Uh, maybe kind of morbid, but, you know, as a seven, eight-year-old kid, that really left an impact. Um, I did not want to be a mouse. So, um, but also we went to Canada one year, one of our longest trip, and we did some fishing up there, caught a lot of northern pike and whatnot. I think that the reason those family vacations, summer vacations were so important to me is that you have kind of a shared experience, you know, you have common memories, you spend time together out of your normal environment, and you, you just kind of bond in a special way. And so we've tried to continue that with our family. And so typically we'll, we'll, we'll get away, we'll go to Minnesota where Nancy's from and we'll visit family, we'll, we'll camp or stay in a cabin or fish or whatever. And then we'll often try to get to, to Colorado once in a while too. And we've had a couple longer ones. We've gone to the East Coast once and to the, the West Coast another time and stayed at the ocean, which was a, a lot of fun for, for the kids when they were younger because they'd never been there before. Um, today we're starting a new sermon series, as you probably can tell from the bulletin, entitled Summer Vacation. And what we're doing is they're standalone messages, but we're we're kind of continue the theme of, of, of summer travels and trips with together as a family. We're going to be looking at different passages of scripture, stories in scripture where God's people were on a journey. And there's lots of them in you know, the Old Testament, New Testament. You got Paul's missionary journeys. You have a lot of stuff. Jesus journey with the disciples. You have a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. And today we're starting with a very familiar Story, Maybe one of the first Bible stories that you learn when you're in Sunday school as a kid. It's in Exodus chapter 14. Uh, we didn't read it earlier because it's a long passage. We're going to kind of hit, dip in here and there uh, throughout the message. But if you want to turn there to Exodus 14, that'd be great. Some of it will be on the screen behind you. Some of it you'll just have to follow along. But it's the story of, of the parting of the Red Sea. OK, remember the story Moses is used of God to bring the. The Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, they go into the desert, they begin to wander around and travel this kind of this huge kind of family vacation in a sense. They're traveling and and they come to a situation where this journey takes them to a place where it's not much fun. It's in a place where they rather would not be. And we pick it up in Exodus 14 And, 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 and they find themselves in a situation where they begin to wonder, why are we here? Why did God bring us here? Um, what is God doing in a situation i this is not this is not a good scenario what what are we supposed to do god in this in this place and so as we look at this passage today, we're going to pull out three or four things that hopefully will be helpful to you when you find yourself in a similar scenario in your life as an individual or a family where you're going through life and you're in a place where it doesn't seem to be the best scenario. What do we move? How do we move forward? What's next? What is God doing in the midst of this? You know, 22 years ago, Nancy and I, um, a little, it was the end of August, beginning of August, we were piling up, uh, packing up a U-Haul, and we're driving almost 1,600 miles from Chicago to to Canada, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, to to be precise. I had just graduated from seminary. Nancy had finished up her MBA. We were all done, ready to go, ready to go to work. And we took a a church called Gateway Covenant Church in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And it's 300 miles north of the border between um, uh, Montana and North Dakota. And I distinctly remember uh, the looks on some of my classmates and friends when they asked me the question, why Saskatchewan? Why Saskatchewan? They, They knew that I was from Kansas, they knew Nancy was from Minnesota and there are plenty of churches in those states and we had interviewed with churches that were close to, fairly close to our homes. And they asked the question, why Saskatchewan? Nothing personal, but why Saskatchewan? Well, it wasn't that we didn't have other options. I mean, we had talked to some other churches and it wasn't because I'd done something really bad in seminary and we were in exile like Siberia, you know, uh, <laughs> even though after a couple of winters, we began to wonder uh, if that was actually the case. Um, But it was because we were pretty certain, you know, certain as you can be, that this is where God wanted us to go. This was the place that God wanted us to serve, even though it didn't make much sense logically to a lot of our friends and classmates. It was way out of the way where from most people thought we should be going. And yet we got some great advice from some some wonderful friends who, who told us, go where God wants you to go. Wherever it is, go where God wants you to go. Go by the way that he wants you to go. God's ways don't always make sense to the world. Maybe not always to you, even. But if God puts you in a place, then that's where you need to be. Now, I tell you, not, I tell you this not to make Nancy and I out to beat these great Christians who always know what God wants to have, with the, you know, the red phone that you pick up, and you know, who always do things his way, but I, but I do tell it to kind of introduce my... My first point, my first thought. Although God's plans are not always logical to us or to the world, God is in control. Isaiah 55, 8, a wonderful verse, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Although God's plans are not always logical, don't always make sense to us, God is always in control. Take a look now at Exodus 14, starting at verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Haroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Now you might be wondering what's so unusual or illogical about this? Well, as you look through Exodus First of all, God had them retrace their steps. They'd already been this way. They had just traveled this way, and God ordered a change of direction, which to many of the people of Israel must have seemed, at best, strange, and at worst, risky and dangerous. Their course was to take them a direction which in a very short time would place them with a the Red Sea on one side, with a trackless wilderness on the other, and in front of them a barrier of mountains. They were boxed in, and there was no escape. It'd be sort of like if you're in a big city and you're walking down the street and some, some bad guys start, start chasing you and you begin to run and, and you turn down the alley and all of a sudden you realize it's a dead end. You're trapped. No way, no way out, no way through. Can't go back, can't go forward. Future doesn't look good, the present seems impossible. That's how things were for the Israelites, seemingly here in Exodus 14. And God himself was the one who had placed them there, It wasn't like Moses made a mistake or the people went went the wrong direction. God directed them there to this place that seemed to be a dead end with no way out. They were trapped. Because remember what happens? If you read through the chapter and you remember the story, Pharaoh and his armies begin to pursue the Israelites. They have a change of heart. You know, all our free labor is gone. Let's go get them. And they come up on the Israelites and the Israelites begin to lose hope. They begin to lose faith and they, they begin to question Moses. They begin to question the wisdom of what they're doing. And they even begin to question God. You know, you remember the movie, The Ten Commandments? Um, remember the scene when, when this happens? Yul Brenner plays the pharaoh, you know, and, um, and, and he comes up there and he's in his chariot and he kind of says in a very dramatic, regal voice, the God of Israel, very sarcastically, the God of Israel is not a very good general, to leave his people trapped by the sea. Maybe you've heard people say that in the world. When they look at the state of the world, what's going on, maybe you've heard people say something like that. Maybe you've thought that or said that yourself. God is doing a pretty poor job of managing the world. Why doesn't he do something about that? Why does he allow that to happen? Some people might say, God doesn't have a plan for me or the world. Everything seems random and pointless. God doesn't seem to know what he's doing. Look at how many good Christian people are stuck in really bad situations, poor health or bad marriages, screwed up kids, crushing debt, failed businesses. If we are his army, they might say, then God is not a very good general to leave us trapped in a place like this. And remember, this wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence God intentionally and purposefully led them to this place, to this situation. You see, God always has a plan. And God is always sovereign. And what that means is that God is in control. And he has a plan and a purpose for this world, for his creation, for uh, for this nation, for our state, our city, our church, and for us as individuals and as families. And even what doesn't seem to make sense, even what doesn't seem to be logical in the eyes of others, maybe even ourselves at times, God is at work, and he will provide a way through just like he did for the people of Israel in Exodus 14. F.B. Meyer puts it, it this way. He has some thoughts on this. He says, often God seems to place his children in positions of profound difficulty, leading them into a wedge from which there is no escape, designing a situation that no human judgment would have permitted had it been previously consulted. The very cloud directs them there, you may be involved, he continues, in a situation like this at this very hour. It does seem perplexing and mysterious to the last degree, but it is perfectly right. The issue will more than justify him who has brought you there. It is a platform for the display of his almighty grace and power. Not only will he deliver you, but in doing so, he will give you a lesson that you will never, ever forget. So something we need to hang on to remember, a perspective we need to have when we find ourselves in our journey through life in a situation that we would rather not be, and we wonder perhaps, what is God doing here? Did he make a mistake? Did, you know, what, what's going on here? Did I take a wrong turn? Remember that although God's plans may not always seem logical, God is always in control. Secondly, although God's plans may surprise us, he himself is never, ever surprised. Psalm 139.16 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God is never surprised because he's omniscient, and that simply means that he knows everything, including knowing how things will end before they ever begin. That's, it's, it's hard for us to grasp, but that's what, that's what God can do and does do. He's able to do that because he's omniscient. Look at verse 3. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the, Egyptians, the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haharath, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Now, It's easy to come down hard on the Israelites when we hear stories like this. How could they be so blind and so stubborn, right? How could they have such little faith? I mean, after all, these were the same Israelites who had just witnessed the remarkable power and deliverance of God through the plagues. They had seen miracles done. How could they now begin to become fearful and begin to murmur against him? Now, it's clear in our text that this fear is is the primary emotion, that they're very afraid and they begin to give in to that fear, as we are all wont to do at times. Verse 11. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So the first time that something goes wrong, the first time they're surprised, the first time their circumstances become tough and there seems to be no way out, they turn on Moses and in essence they turn on God. You see, their eyes were focused on the problem. Their eyes were focused on the Egyptians, on the circumstances. Their eyes were not focused on the Lord. Fear begins to cause them to distort and not believe the truth, to be ruled by doubt rather than by faith. And her statement that it would have been better for them to have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness exhibits a remarkably short memory of God's action in their lives. But lest we judge them too harshly, don't we sometimes as believers act as if we regret stepping out in faith when we see what's involved, when God surprises us by putting us in a tough spot, a spot that we really don't want to be in? The psalmist in 106, verses 7 8 says this about the story. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your, merc- your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, you saved them for your namesake, that you might make your mighty power known. Now, there are all sorts of things that can cause this to lose trust. We're probably not going to be trapped against the sea with guys and chariots coming after us. But maybe we've gotten a diagnosis and the prognosis isn't real good. Maybe there's not a cure. Maybe we have more month than we do money. Maybe we have a child who refuses to do right. Maybe we have a spouse that we don't feel accepted by and, and they reject us. Maybe we lose our job. Maybe we lose our, our way. But we m- must remember, regardless of our circumstances, that regardless if we were surprised by them and, and, and fearful, God himself is not surprised. God has a plan. He, he always has a plan. And you and I may not see it or may not understand it at the time, but God has a plan. We may run in the opposite direction from God's plan, but he still has a plan for us. We can do everything we can to mess up our lives, and we might think God can never do anything with this, but God still has a plan. So in order to get through the tough times when you're journey through life, and you find yourself in a scenario that you'd rather not be in, remember that God has a plan, that he's in control, and remember that he is never, ever surprised. And it's his plan... It always is going to work out in the end, in his way and in his time. Proverbs nineteen twenty one says this. People can make all kinds of plans, but only the Lord's plan will happen. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. In Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Your plans for us, O God, are too numerous to list. God's plan for us works even in the difficulties of life. Romans 8, 28. We know that in everything, God works for the good of those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purpose. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that comes our way in life is good. It doesn't mean that everything people will do to us is good or everything we will do is good. It certainly doesn't mean that that God causes bad things to happen to us. We do live in a fallen world, and there's consequences to that. And we do live with free will, and there are consequences of that, whether ours or somebody else's choices. But God, in His goodness and His greatness and His mercy, can even use those, those horrible things and work them into His plan for us. Because God is good. He's able to do that. That's how great and awesome his plan for us is. And so again, if I'm going to get through tough times, if I'm sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place with no seeming way out, the first thing is I must remember that no matter what's happening, God has a plan, that he's in control, and that he's never, ever surprised. Finally, back to our story for a moment before we finish up here and do communion. Back to the story. We'll pick it up in verse 13. So the people have complained, and now Moses speaks, verse 13. Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. So Moses shows a lot of faith here. He trusts that God is going to do something that they, they don't understand or see. He speaks this, but then God speaks. Pick it up in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So you see, when we find ourselves in situations, uh, we need to trust in the Lord. We need to listen to him. And when he says to go, we are to step out in faith and obedience. And, and that's really what faith is about, isn't it? It's, it's trusting in the Lord even when things don't seem to be good or right for us. It's listening to Him, being still and knowing that He's God, but when He speaks, to move, to step out, to take action, not in our own strength, but believing that He will do what He has said He will do believing that he will make a way, that he will be there for us, that he will deliver, that he will be gracious and move us to the place that he wants us to be next. And so when we find ourselves in a tough spot, after we ask the question, and only after we ask the question, what is God doing? What What does he want to do? Then we can ask the question, what does he want me to do? And how should I move forward in the circumstance and in the situa- situation prayerfully and in the power of God's Holy Spirit? I want to close with a story from, from True Life about a woman named Gladys Elward. Uh, she was a missionary to China over 60 years ago. And um, the Japanese invaded the, her city of Yangtze. She was working with orphans and she could not leave the children behind. So with one assistant, she and this assistant led over 100 orphans over the mountains toward free China. In the book about this, called The Hidden Price of Greatness, Ray Besson and Rinalda Mack are the authors, tell what happened. They say during Gladys's harrowing journey out of war-torn Chen, she grappled with despair as never before. After passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. But then a 13-year-old girl in the group reminded her of their much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. But I'm not Moses, Gladys cried in desperation. Well, of course you aren't, the girl said. But Jehovah is still God. No matter how inadequate we may feel, God is still God. No matter how trapped we might feel, God is still in control. No matter how we might wonder about his plans for us, God always has a plan. God is always at work. No matter what our fears, when we step out in faith after listening to him and following him, God will act. He does have a plan. He does have a purpose as we journey through life, not only for the world, for our country, state, city, and church, but for you. And he will provide a way through whatever you are facing today and tomorrow. That's God's story. That's God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word of truth. We thank you that you are God, that we can trust, that you are omniscient, you see everything before it even happens. That you're God who is omnipotent, that you're powerful and able to deliver upon your promises. That you're a God who is omnipresent, you're always with us. And that you're God who is a God of great love and compassion. We thank you that you're at work. We thank you that you're never surprised. We thank you that you always have a plan. You, we thank you that in all things, in your time and in your way, you work them together for our good. Help us, Lord, to have that perspective wherever our journeys in life take us. When we find ourselves in a circumstance or situation that we would rather not be in, that we think there's no way out or through it, Lord, when we wonder what you're doing, help us to to listen to you, to have that perspective and to step out in faith, knowing and believing that you will act and take us to where you would have us go next. So, Father, we offer ourselves to you this morning. As we come to the tables for communion in just a minute, May our hearts be soft before you. May our minds be aware of your presence and be open to your truth. Uh, as we confess our sins, may we do so uh, humbly. May we also have the confidence that, that you will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we, may we be aware of your presence and be strengthened and nourished by your Holy Spirit now. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.